This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker here. Chris Brown is out for the first half of this week. We are joined today by Chris Trapasso. Chris, thanks for coming on with us, CBS Sports. Thanks for coming on with us, uh, for spending a couple of hours with us a day. Yeah. Uh, good to have you on. It's been a minute. It's great to be back. It's I'm, certainly would have been a little bit more fun preparing for a Bills Super Bowl, but it's the Ve- offseason. We would probably be in Vegas if we were in Super Bowl. That's true, but yeah. the offseason is kind of my cup of tea with the NFL draft, and yeah. the Bills are this close, so a few pieces here and there, and, and maybe that's what we're doing next year. Yeah, we're going to be here uh, with you until uh, 3 o'clock. Uh, we've got a, bu- a ton of stuff going on. Um, around the league, did you good weekend? Did you yeah. catch any of the Pro Bowl stuff? Just through Twitter, I I didn't I watch it. It does I seem did. like the players like the Pro Bowl, like the They're flag football. Fun. They're having fun, but it was not appointment viewing for me in my house. Yeah, I missed every minute of it. <laughs> I. Uh, I, no question, the guys are there. Is it right? If they look like they're having fun, they're having fun because those guys are not acting. They're not mm, going out there no. if they're not having fun. Yeah, me. that's true. They're. <laughs> They don't have it in them, and the stadium was sold out. Like it, it seemed like it, it was a packed stadium. So there, there's amazing. still, yeah, that that was amazing to me. There's, I don't know how you give people whatever their money's worth is for the Pro Bowl. Yeah, um, but the skills competition, the flag football, tug. Of, I mean, how, you're sitting up in the th- <laughs> 300 level watching a tug of war. Yeah, or it, watching these guys slide. I saw this. They're sliding weights off a off a pipe. Yeah, I mean, they're. It's it's kind of contrived what they've done with some of the events, but if they can get the players to actually care, and apparently yeah. it can fill a stadium in Orlando. Right, I guess. They'll compete. I mean, that's what those guys do. I mean, it it does not matter what they got going on. If there's if they're keeping score, those guys are going to turn it that's up. That's true. It's fifty nine to sixty four after all said and done. After the flag football, after the tug of war, after the obstacle course, after the. Uh, what else was there? Dodgeball. Um, there's a whole list of stuff they got going Did on. Did they do a long drive this year? I know Jordan Poyer won the long drive last it year. Closest to the pin. Closest to the pin, okay. This time. Gotcha. Uh, so they change it year to year. I, I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what, and I don't know who says what, but, you know, who says what they're going to do. But, yeah, I did not. I Honestly, this we're watching it here on the highlights on our in our studio. I, so for, this is the most I've seen of it. Um uh, yeah, I just caught little glimpses of the flag football game, which a lot of points. I, I mean, very minimal defense. Uh, but again, no one gets hurt. And we did have, I, I mean, certainly some of the players opted out, Josh Allen Chief among them, um, and rightfully so. I, I would now rather. That's not new, but yes. Yeah, I would yeah. rather play Pebble Beach than do that if I was Josh Allen. Um, but good participation. Stefan Diggs there, James Cook, a lot of. You know, all stars out there and having fun. No one getting injured. So I, I think where the Pro Bowl ultimately was getting to, where the game itself was such a sham of a game, if they're going to yeah, just it say, "Hey, practice. it's 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 flag football," like no one's expecting there to be big hits or anything like that, and there's laterals, um, I think it's probably for the better because the Pro Bowl was getting to the point where it was totally unwatchable uh, in the past. Yeah, it wasn't a real game. It wasn't a game even when uh, you played. It was. Oh yeah, we had guys getting hurt. Yeah, and guys you don't want like that. I got knocked head over heels by Deion Sanders. I mean, that's you know everybody was playing, even him, <laughs> yeah. right? So, uh, yeah, it was different, and it was also, and I'll say this: not, not to take anything away from the fans or the way the guys are selected now, because they're all everybody has a voice. But um, back when I first began getting selected to the Pro Bowl, it really meant something because only coaches and only players could vote. Mm. It was a totally internal the fan votes. It was a closed circuit, and when that 
changed and it became a fan vote, um, it it really started to yeah, slide. Uh, and not not because that you know because fans don't know what they're talking about or whatever, but it really meant something to the players that they got picked by guys. When your peers are the ones voting you in, I can uh, see that. I, I'll never forget. It was really special when that happened, and I and so that. Uh, yeah, everything evolves though, and I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say you know everything stinks because it was better when I played it because it's not true. The game's much better these days than than it's ever been, but not the Pro Bowl. No, I agree. Um, but I have said too. I, I've said to, even when I was out there, they need to do something because this I you got guys out there playing it. It it's was not worth playing another game. It's too hard to play the sport at the highest level where these guys are. And not get hurt. What I like, too, is that they've kind of made it into a weekend. Like, you're seeing that there's different events. Yeah. They can get the offensive linemen. We saw Deion Dawkins in the tug-of-war. Before, yeah. Pro Bowl offensive linemen, like, they're on the field in their pads in the past, and no one's really blocking. The pass rushers weren't really doing anything. So they've really done, a, I think, a decent job at incorporating everyone, the offensive linemen, the D-tackles, the safeties, whatever position they're playing um, – into the whole weekend. You get that for the NBA and the NHL that it's an all-star weekend. I think that's what the NFL has tried to do um, with yeah. the Pro Bowl. Yeah, sure. And, and you know, obviously every sport is completely different. The NHL and the NBA have their own skills competitions. And in addition to a game, uh, the NFL is a different animal. Yeah. And it's hard to make it worth it for the players to get there and be there and participate. But like you said, I mean, look at the stands. They're, it's completely full. Yeah, it was packed. Um, the the game makes these guys into superstars and mm-hmm. you know deserving of it. A lot of them are great dudes and, um, but yeah, I I gave it a miss. Yeah, so, I, I, I mean I don't I can't imagine in the future when I'm going to be like I'm going to watch the Pro Bowl this year, <laughs> but certainly with social year. media you could catch little things here and there, and I think that's. Probably how a lot of fans felt. Um, I'm, I didn't yeah. see anything about the ratings, but they're probably better than they were when it was an actual game, uh, you know, the last yeah. couple of years. All right, Chris, Chris Trapasso, Steve Tasker here with you until 3 o'clock. Uh, let's go around the NFL presented by Kaleida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. Lots going on around the league at this time. Um, the Dallas Cowboys are st- starting to still looking for a defensive coordinator. Jerry Jones doesn't think that the contract status of Mike McCarthy will hamper that search. McCarthy's headed into the last year of his deal, and Jerry's trying to hire a new guy as defensive coordinator. He was also reportedly also reportedly saying that he could see himself working with Bill Belichick mm. in the future. Which I mean, this is like a soap opera down there now. Now Dallas had a defensive coordinator who was there last year. Dan Quinn was hired as the head coach of the Commanders. Jones seems to believe that that defensive coordinator job in Dallas is an automatic springboard for an aspiring head coach because they got so many dudes on that side yeah. of the ball that it's going to make anybody who does it look great. So the Cowboys have got two of the five finalists for the defensive player of the year in the NFL, Micah Parsons, who's awesome. got 40 sacks in three years. The guy's <laughs> un- unblockable. Yeah. And Deron Bland, who exploded onto the scene this year, nine interceptions and set the NFL record for five pick sixes. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah, five pick sixes out of his nine interceptions. So all of that's going on in Dallas. That really does have the all the markings of it, like an, a little bit of a drama. Jerry Jones, he's not extending Mike McCarthy. Mm-mm. McCarthy's sitting there going, I've won the division. We're winning 12 games a year, and we're, they're getting, they're, but they're getting bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of par for the course for the Cowboys that uh, since the mid to late 90s, this is what's 
happened a lot that there's been coaching turnover and that the Cowboys haven't won a lot of playoff games. They've had, like you mentioned, that regular season success. And when you have Micah Parsons, Deron Bland, don't forget Trevon Diggs a few years ago. Right. He'll be coming back off an injury. He's coming off an injury, but he also led the league in interceptions, I think, in his second season. Um, Demarcus Lawrence is still there. They have pieces on the defensive side. You have CeeDee Lamb that had an all-pro caliber season. Dak Prescott, they can't get over the hump. And you would know from your playing days, coaches don't want to go even players, but coaches don't want to go into a season as that lame duck coach where it's my contract expires at the end of the year. So at this point, less than a week away from the Super Bowl, a lot of those more highly sought after defensive coordinator candidates have already been hired. So the Cowboys are in kind of a difficult spot at this point if you're Jerry Jones. Yeah, if you're Jerry, though, you're going to say, you know, you're going to go in there and you're going to you let this play out. Yeah, you have to. You let this play out, and you you can win twelve games the regular season. You get bounced in the first round of the playoffs, and you're not getting a new contract. And our job's open, and we're looking like a plum job. Mm-hmm. True. And I'll be I'll have my pick of whatever hot candidates I want. Yeah. Um, that's where Jerry's at. So he's got the lever right now, and he's he's you know he's going to pull it. I mean that guy's going to he's going to use every bit of leverage that he has to you know. I wonder if he mentioned Bill Belichick, and we know that Bill Belichick has not gotten hired anywhere. Would this be a situation where midway through 2024, if Mike McCarthy, if they're if they're five yeah. and three, four and four, not really living up to expectations, is that a pull the plug on Mike McCarthy? Insert Bill Belichick. Uh, either that, or all of a sudden you get Bill Belichick in the building, rattling around, saying he's going to be a consultant now. Oh yeah, to I get mean, him like acclimated to the roster. See what you yeah. think, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's. It's That's too a match delicious. made. It's too delicious in heaven, I think, for people who hate the Cowboys. Yeah, and probably too for people who love the Cowboys. I mean, golly, a lot of stuff going on in Dallas. Another story going along: uh, former offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey, former Bills offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey, was hired as the offensive coordinator of the Browns. He was given a boost publicly by a former uh, offensive coordinator here in Buffalo and current New York Giant head coach Brian Dayball. He gave him the vote of confidence as he got that job. Of course, everybody asks everybody in the past how you're doing, and Dayball said you got a good guy. Head coach of the Browns, Kevin Stefanski, is still going to continue to call plays for Cleveland, but that coaching carousel continues. Um, interesting hire there for, for the Browns. Um, and we'll just let it play out. Also, former head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury, hired by the Washington Commanders as their new offensive coordinator. Kingsbury was an offensive analyst and quarterbacks coach at USC this past mm. season. So the rumors abound that the Commanders are going to draft the kid that Kingsbury coached at USC, which is, of course, Caleb Williams. Yeah, and they would have to go from probably number two to number one, trade up with the Chicago Bears. That organization, different ownership now, which is good, famously traded up, what, one or two spots to get Robert Griffin III in the 2012 draft. That ultimately was great for about a season or two and then fizzled out. Um, What I've heard around the league is that even moving up one spot, because everyone loves Caleb Williams, that's going to cost an arm and a leg. So would this new GM, new coach, new ownership be all about that? And remember, Kingsbury was about to sign with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders to be their offensive oh, coordinator, yeah. pulls out, joins the commanders. That will definitely keep the Caleb Williams rumors going all draft season. Yeah, that that deal blew up before they signed it mm-hmm. for whatever reasons, and there's a little bit of he said, she said in the in the mix there, along with the commanders as well, yep. who have hired uh, Dan Quinn. The commanders also hired Cowboys secondary and defensive passing game coordinator Joe Whit Jr. as their defensive coordinator. That would be a Dan Quinn yep. bring-along. Yep. Um, 
Witt has a huge challenge ahead of him, but the Commanders were last in yards allowed and last in points allowed last year, so Joe Witt Jr.'s got his work cut out for Mm -hmm. him. Now, Kingsbury, the offensive guy, he got famous for tutoring Baker Mayfield and Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech. And then he had four years of Kyler Murray in Arizona. They got to the playoffs twice with Kyler, but then he too, uh, like like Joe Witt on the other side, they got a lot to fix with the Washington Commanders. But Joe uh, Joe Witt Jr. and uh, uh, Cliff Kingsbury are going to be the coordinators under Dan Quinn in Washington. A whole new look over there. They're in that rebuilding process because they trade away Montez Sweat and Chase Young in the middle of the season. And they were... They were like a 500 team, and that NFC was not super great or, or super deep. They were within shouting distance. They were within shouting distance. They keep both of those players. Maybe the defense wouldn't have been last in yards allowed, things like that. They said, look, we're looking ahead to 2024. Maybe they wanted that high pick. They probably did for a Caleb Williams or a Drake May, and you know all about it from playing. So much that what comes into, whether it's in free agency or the draft, having those established relationships with coaches and players. So you know at this point, Cliff Kingsbury is probably already banging the table and saying we need to do whatever we can do to get Caleb Williams on this roster. Yeah, and as, as that's going on around Washington and Dallas, the, also in the NFC East, the Giants are still looking for their next defensive coordinator. And they've reportedly talked to or interviewed Denard Wilson, which was Baltimore's defensive backs coach, Duran Durante Jones, Minnesota's defensive backs coach, Brendan Daly, Kansas City's DB's coach, Shane Bowen, Tennessee's defensive coordinator last year, Derek Ansley, the Chargers defensive coordinator last year, Anthony Campanile, Miami's linebackers coach last year, Jerome Henderson, their own secondary coach from a year ago, and of course they also were talking to Bobby Babich, the Bills linebackers coach, who now Babich has been filled. Uh, He is now the Bills defensive coordinator. Now, Brownie and I talked last week, it had come out that Joe Shane, the general manager of the Giants, said, we're going to get this done by the end of the week. And it's <laughs> Not Monday. so fast, it's right? It's Monday. And, then, yeah. Yeah, it, and to hire or, or to interview someone in-house and that long of a list and not be able to make a decision or maybe no one in that interview process really blew away Joe Shane and Brian Dable there um, with the Giants. Again, you're getting almost – to Super Bowl Sunday, a lot of the best head coaching and, and in this case, defensive coordinator candidates have already been hired. They, similar to the uh, Dallas Cowboys in that same division, are kind of in a tough spot at this point. Yeah, and, this, and the cupboard is starting to, to go dry. Yeah, you know, get exactly. Thin. Okay, the man who hired, who Jim Harbaugh worked for with the San Francisco 49ers, has endorsed, has endorsed said Jim Harbaugh and his hiring by the Los Angeles Chargers. Jed York, who watched as his 49ers with Harbaugh as their head coach, they went 36-11 and 11 in three Oof. years in San Francisco. But the fourth year, they went 8-8 eight and eight and sent Harbaugh packing. I think they're going to be very – I think they'll be very, very successful, said York. And at the end of Jim Harbaugh's time in San Fran, there's reportedly – huge dysfunction inside the organization harbaugh of course paid the price and the the chargers now are reportedly also talking to former bills and baltimore offensive coordinator greg roman to fill that role with jim harbaugh a few things there i remember at the end of that that jim harbaugh going into that fourth season seemed untouchable like he could do whatever he wants he's gonna you know keep that job forever he goes eight and eight 
And there was infighting between Harbaugh and the GM, Trent Balky at the time, who's now in Jacksonville, with Jed York, the owner. So I think for as good and as successful of a coach as Jim Harbaugh has been in college and even in the pros, I don't know if he's the easiest coach to get along with in terms of the powers that be above him, that he wants to do what he wants to do, and he doesn't really care what ownership, what a GM says. Um, So we'll have to see how that plays out there in um, LA with the Chargers. One other thing, I don't love the Greg Roman hire. I I know that Harbaugh um, has familiarity with him from their time in San Francisco together, even before that at Stanford. But are they going to incorporate kind of a late '90s like I formation running style offense with Listen, Justin yeah, Herbert? I that, wouldn't like that for Herbert. No, no, but no. Greg Roman famously is the guy that got Lamar Jackson his first. MVP in yep, Baltimore. That's with true. A, they had total misdirection. Colin Kaepernick, big, too, he was good with. Yes, yeah. and total um, counterplay, a lot of power. A lot of power football with misdirection mm-hmm. in, included in it. So you take a wrong step and you're off balance, and they hit you right in the mouth and yep. off balance. Yep. Um, really good run game coordinator was Greg Roman. Um, and, you know, when you got a guy like Lamar Jackson, you're going to try and, and you get him to an MVP and you want yep. to take the next level, and, and Lamar wants to throw it more. and so yeah, I think he's a good something. coordinator. I think he's a good coordinator. I, too, I, I, yeah. I just don't know if that's the right fit philosophically with Justin Herbert, who's got the big arm. Right. You want him to throw. You don't want to be. Justin Herbert doesn't run. Yeah, he doesn't really run. I don't know if, if with someone with that arm talent that can make those big time throws, if you want him throwing yeah. 20, 25 times a game. I think you want to put the ball in his hands yeah. more than the run game. Lots of staffs being formulated. Also, you know, uh, the defensive coordinator last year, or the, the finger quotes defensive coordinator, maybe he did have the title. I don't even know. Steve Belichick from the Patriots mm. is now out in Washington at the Washington University Huskies. He's going to be their defensive coordinator and call plays at the college ranks. It's amazing this time of year. Hundreds of, well, hundreds, dozens of coaches, and hundreds of coaches, dozens of staffs are now you know displaced, and they're all getting mixed up and thrown off to different levels and places yeah. in football. What I think is interesting about that is so the Patriots hired Gerard Mayo as their offense or as their head coach, and there's all the ties obviously to Bill Belichick. He played for Bill Belichick, was a first round pick in 2008 by the Patriots, and not that he was going to necessarily retain everyone, but it kind of felt like all right, the Patriots liked that. Belichick coaching tree, you would think that Gerard Mayo would find a spot somewhere, whether it is defensive coordinator or some type of assistant for Steve Belichick. So for him to not only just not be retained, but then leave the NFL entirely yeah. and go to the University of Washington, that kind of like is very noteworthy to me that, that he's not on the Patriots or in the NFL anymore. Yeah, that's right. Isn't that kind of weird? Yes, it is a little bit weird. A little bit weird. Surprising. A lot of stuff going on around the, the NFL. One thing here in Orchard Park, uh, construction workers, I probably Bills fans around here probably heard about this. Construction workers placed the first structural steel column at New Highmark Stadium. The steels is going to be erected in five levels, multiple cranes working in both a clockwise and a cl- counterclockwise manner, single crane inside the bowl, and three cranes lo- located around the outside perimeter. The work's going to start in the northwest corner of the new stadium and proceed around it till the southeast corner. And it marks a significant milestone in the stadium's construction. So when people start showing up here for the next this next season in 2024, we're going to see Yeah, it's going to be something. It's not going to be a hole. Ain't going to be a hole. Yeah, Nobody. There's sweet. not going to be any more pit sacrifices uh, <laughs> over across the way. It's uh, it's going to look much much different and get. They're going to. You're going to be able to see it. And I think the thing that's going to strike people most about this new stadium is how tall it's going to be. 
The old stadium is a like a it's dug like in. a a, chi- a bowl of chili. Mm-hmm. The new stadium is going to be built a little bit like a shot glass. Okay, it's going to be taller, taller, and it's going to be more vertical, and it's going to be right down on top of the field. Well, isn't the current stadium like I said? Isn't it dug into the ground? Like the lower bowl twice is underground, as, twice as far. It's twice as deep. This bowl is at the old stadium is twice as deep as the old exactly one. the new one. I'm sorry, the new one. Yeah, so um, it, it's a, a higher footprint. Yeah, the, the old one I think is 68 feet or 70 feet deep, and this one's 34 feet, mm. and it's so it's going to go way up. Okay, way up. In fact, it's going to be the roof, the canopy of the new stadium is going to be taller than the light poles of the old stadium. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a huge difference. You're going to be able to see it from a long way long away. Long way away, nice. So that has begun. Also, as we wind this up, the Chiefs and the 49ers landed in Vegas yesterday. Kansas City landed first at Harry Reid International Airport about 8.15 p.m. The 49ers landed just about an hour later at 9.20 Eastern. The Niners, it's their eighth Super Bowl appearance. And for the Chiefs, it's their fourth in five years and their fifth overall appearance in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs beat the Niners in Super Bowl 54. That's just four years ago by a score of 31-20. And they're going to kick that off, as we know, 6.30 next Sunday. Get ready for a week of, well, I don't know what you call it. It's usually buzzing. But in the this is Super Vegas. Bowl City, but it's Vegas. It's Vegas. This is it's, like just another, this is another day at the office for Vegas, isn't I, it? I saw a tweet from, I forgot what reporter, what national reporter it was that was like, I've always been told that the uh, most amount of time you want to spend in Vegas is like three days. Three days. And yeah. it's like, oh, all of the media members, all the parties that they have set up all week, are people going to be like burned out by Sunday? Probably. Or, well, the players have always been burned out by Sunday. Believe me, it's it's... Um, like we talk about it all the time, the players are real creatures of habit, mm-hmm. and you get you thrown have a, off. You have a certain amount of energy you spend on this and that and the other and the other, and, and the energy that you spend in Super Bowl week is you that normal amount of patience and attention and distraction that you have for most games is used up by Thursday. Yeah, so you got Friday, Saturday, and all day Sunday before the game, and it takes forever to get that game kicked off. And it's it's really frustrating for a lot of guys. And you referenced four years ago the Chiefs beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes' first Super Bowl win. To me, like an underrated storyline is, can Kyle Shanahan finally get it done? Like he is the offensive coordinator when they lose 28-3, to when they blow that lead to the Patriots. Mm. In that Super Bowl, they had a touchdown lead late in that game and ultimately ended up losing by 11 points. Like it took a Patrick Mahomes comeback late in that game for the Chiefs to win. We know Kyle Shanahan, he's established. He's a great play caller, play designer. He gets the most out of his quarterbacks, receivers, yards after the catch. I just want to see if he can actually finally get one done and win a Super Bowl because he's like been there, coached MVPs. You know, Brock Purdy's an MVP candidate. Had Matt Ryan as an MVP. There's certainly a lot of hoopla around Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift and Patrick Mahomes. Can they become a dynasty? But how about Kyle Shanahan just not having a blunder with his his clock management, his game management, and just putting together all four quarters, helping his team finally get one done? That's what I'm kind of paying attention yeah, to I, with this game. They're going to be fine. I, I don't. I, I think Shanahan is a. I think he's a really. I don't know if you can say it, but a little underrated coach because of the fact that he gets there a lot. Yeah, and he's true. and he's a. I think he's one of the great offensive minds in the game these days. For uh, sure. His creativity, and certainly certainly they've got some dudes over there, no question about it, on the defensive side of the ball and, and on the offensive side of the ball as well. They've got a really tremendous roster. Uh, 
aided by the fact that, and I think, the, and this is the reason I, I give Kyle Shanahan a ton of credit. He, he does it with just guys at quarterback. Jimmy yeah. Garoppolo couldn't play. Um, but he got the most out of Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. Um, all the guys that between Jimmy Garoppolo and, and uh, Brock Purdy now. Yeah. Uh, Brock Purdy now. You know, he found Brock Purdy. He knows what he's looking at. And Brock Purdy is not Mr. Irrelevant. He's a good quarterback. Yep. Uh, but he's not a he's not a Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert Mm-mm. quarterback. No. And uh, but he has really quickly developed from a guy who from last year at the end of last year really stepped stepped it up week over week over week mm-hmm. with the coaching it's Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy has is now making plays. He's a legit starting quarterback who can carry a team for a moment. Yeah. If you look at, at the the history of the quarterbacks that Kyle Shanahan has had, either when he was a offensive coordinator in Houston, got the most out of Matt Schaub, Brian Hoyer, uh, Kirk Cousins early in Washington helped develop him into a quarterback that got a bunch of huge, fully guaranteed deals right. um, in Minnesota. He does a great job. I think he's the most quarterback-friendly offensive coordinator in the league. And one last point that kind of could be part of our around the league Kyle Shanahan said he was serious recently about trying to lure Tom Brady out of retirement for this season. So he wasn't even fully convinced that Brock Purdy could be the guy. Ultimately, of course, to not get Tom Brady. And then Brock Purdy had an MVP caliber season. So I think that's funny how that ultimately works out, that God works in mysterious ways. I'm sure Kyle Shanahan was upset that he wasn't able to get Tom Brady. But again, is another testament to, like you mentioned, how well he can elevate his quarterbacks, and that's obviously the most important yeah. position on the field. Yeah, and a, and a guy who can do that is worth his weight in gold, sure. as Kyle Shanahan can, has proven time and again. Um, he's finally he finally got his shot to be a head guy in San Francisco, and you you talk about coaches who have interacted with him and had you know brushed up against him. It's like Sean McVay, it's Cliff Kingsbury, it's, it's all, big all those coaching guys, tree a big now that's tree good down there. Yeah, and uh, and sh- certainly. Um, once again in the Super Bowl is, says a lot about where he was. Four years ago he was in it, and now he's back again. That's that's pretty. That that is a more normal coaching true path than we see Andy Reid with going to four out of five. And one last point about this: you mentioned that they have some dudes. I think another storyline, or to me, like the key storyline outside of Kyle Shanahan and and just Patrick Mahomes being in it again, is. We are going to see. I think the 49ers are a better team. Brandon Ayuk and all pro, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. You can just, the list goes on. Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, Chase Young. Overall, they have better individual top end talent. Trent Williams at left tackle as well. How does the better team fare against, I think, you know, Patrick Mahomes is cementing himself as one of the best quarterbacks of all time and Travis Kelsey. I think you can look at more all pros on the 49ers side, not as many. On KC, right. how does Mahomes play against yeah. so many good players on both sides of the ball? For I, I agree with you. Niners are more, probably more talented. Although the Chiefs have got a bunch of really good players, sure. their offensive lines playing well. They mm-hmm. got some and Mahomes and Kelsey. You know the whole thing and their defensive uh, guys in the secondary in particular are really good. Yep. But overall, Niners are a better football team. But I don't know that they're better at making plays than the exactly. Chiefs. Exactly. Late in the game, when you need that big play, you always it, can. Even if it's not late in the game, if it's third and crazy. Mahomes will pull it, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and do it. So that's that's the thing as well. That's NFL news and notes brought to you 
Hold on. Brought to you by one of them I had, Kaleida Health, uh, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso here with you until 3 o'clock. We're going to take a break, come back. Um, and while we're on the break, you guys can think about this. And if you want, you can give us a call. Uh, the question is, will the Bills – this is a Twitter question today, and I'd like to hear from some of the Bills fans that we've got listening to us. Will the Bills get better through free agency this offseason? It's a big question, and there's a lot of obstacles uh, towards it, and we'll see what Bills fans think. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso, this is Buffalo Bills Radio, and this is One Bills Live. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso here. Brownie's out for a day or two. Um, Chris, we... we Put it to our listeners right before we went to the break about, you know, can the Bills get better or will the Bills get better in free agency this offseason? Certainly they've got to replenish their roster, if nothing else. they got 10 draft picks. They're going to get those guys. you got to think, too, probably in a, in a perfect world, you might even get a handful of contributors out of that draft. But certainly you got to think there's a good chance all 10 of those kids, kids make the roster. Yep. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts about free agency? Because there's you, you go down the list every year, and this is it's getting worse and worse now because teams are starting to sign guys to a bunch of one year deals. Yeah, so you get these names that pop out after having a pretty good season with whoever they are, like mm-hmm. Leonard Floyd for the Bills, yeah, in, exactly. for instance. Um, what are your thoughts about free agency and where the Bills might head? Well, I think obviously the headliner is that the Bills are way over the cap, but I it's not going to be that difficult for them to get under the cap. They have to get under it. And I think Brandon Bean has shown over the last couple of seasons with the big Josh Allen contract and some others that he knows how to use accounting practices to get you know, cap compliant and be able to sign guys like Leonard Floyd and bring in uh, you know, a Tim Settle, a Daquan Jones, maybe not a Von Miller-esque signing, but I don't think the Bills necessarily need that splash of a signing. They need those little role players here and there on, on, on each side of the ball. The wide receiver group I really like, and I think we saw it last year. Maybe it didn't uh, come to fruition as much as the Bills wanted with Deontay Hardy and Trent Sherfield. But beyond probably drafting a wide receiver in the first or the second round, I think they will be able to check that bargain bin for some free agent wide receivers, and there are some good ones out there. Right. So let's give me, let's go down a quick list here about yep. we got know, five. We got quick. There you go. Some um, some of your more probably realistic exactly that's yes so this list that i compiled is not you know you could say t higgins you could say mike evans but i think they're they're obviously priced out of where the bills ultimately will want to spend and can spend in free agency just to run through these quickly starting at the bottom and then going up and this is in order so lavisca chanel is my number one guy in terms of realistic why Um, do you like him i like him he is so good after the catch he is six foot 6'1", 225. He's built like a like a fullback almost um, and was injured last season in Carolina, two separate ankle injuries. So I think that was going to lower his price in free agency. The Bills are not afraid to sign someone after coming off an injury. Deontay Hardy didn't play uh, two seasons ago before the Bills signed him. With, with Chenault, he averaged forcing 17 missed tackles per season in his first three years in the NFL. And if you're thinking, is 17 missed forced tackles, is that 
Is that a lot? That was the same number that Jamar Chase forced last year. So he is someone, and I think Joe Brady wants to utilize the wide receiver screen game. We saw that down the stretch. I don't think Stephon Diggs is really that guy at this point in his career. That's not really his strength. Um, I think the Bills want to use Khalil Shakir in more of a classic slot role next season. So if you bring in LaVisca Chanel, and he will be cheap. I'm talking one year, two million, one year, three million, somewhere in that range, and that maybe even is a little bit high for him. Yeah. He can be that wide receiver screen guy. Um, some other names, KJ Osborne on that list, went to the University of Buffalo, has been a pretty steady contributor in Minnesota. Um, Kendrick Bourne is someone I think coming off the ACL tear is not going to get a ton of money. Bills fans know him well. He's actually pretty good in New England the last couple seasons, um, despite lesser quarterback play. In Mac Jones' rookie season in 2021, he almost had 900 yards receiving. So Kendrick Bourne is someone yeah. late 20s. You watched against the Bills, he made some plays. He, yeah. he He's a good player that is not going to cost an arm and a leg. And I think you add him with Josh Allen and suddenly – Allen is the type of quarterback that can elevate his game. So those five on there can be bargain bin free agents who are better when they're in Buffalo next season. Tell me a little bit about Olamide, Olamide Zacchaeus. So he went to the University of Virginia. He was like the do-everything player in college. And in Atlanta, when he had more of an opportunity than he did this past season in, in Philadelphia, had over 800 yards uh, just catching the football. So I think he's someone that – wasn't a, a big contributor for the Eagles this past season. We see this touchdown here um, from Jalen Hurts. That was a big one against the Bills. That was to Zacchaeus. Um, a little bit of a smaller guy, but I like he can play inside or outside. He's not just a slot receiver, has good speed down the field. And again, he was buried on that roster this past season um, in Philadelphia. But in Atlanta, when he was the, the, the bona fide number two for the Falcons in 2021, um, was very productive. So I think he could be someone that's kind of like in that Isaiah McKenzie role, maybe can give you a little bit more than that. Um, but all five of those wide receivers, they're not going to you know generate a lot of headlines in free agency. But again, when you let Josh Allen throw them the football, then suddenly um, I think they could be really good in Buffalo. And the one that I haven't mentioned yet, Noah Brown. He had just signed a one-year deal in Houston this past year, and I think that's important because it, it it shows that he's willing to sign those you know one-year deals just right. to, to ultimately get a bigger deal. Try afterward. it out, deal yeah. exactly. He averaged over 17 yards per catch this season with C.J. Stroud there with the Texans. Came into the league very young out of Ohio State was a low-volume guy in Dallas to start his career, but he showed now that he is into his late 20s, uh, the polish and the refinement that is needed to get open, to make catches deep down the field. He showed that this past season in Houston, and he was banged up a little bit. So again, he's not going to be able to come into free agency and say, look, I played 17 games, I played 800 snaps, I want six, seven, eight million a year. Right. He could be a lesser guy that starts and you project him as your wide receiver three, you have Dalton Kincaid, you have Khalil Shakir kind of splitting that wide receiver two role, you draft a receiver. That's what I think Brandon Bean will ultimately do, find those role players at defensive tackle, at safety, and I think very importantly at wide receiver. Yeah, one of the things about, and for Bills fans, Kendrick Bourne's a guy who's been playing for the Patriots, so you see him once in a while. In fact, the thing that you'll remember about Kendrick Bourne, you think back to the playoff game two years ago when the Bills had the perfect game. Yeah. Um, Kendrick Bourne was the lone bright spot in that game in the second half for the New England Patriots. He caught a couple of passes and went deep and then took an end around. 
he was the only guy that actually showed up and was athletically good enough to do something against the Bills in that game uh, for the Patriots. He's he's got some he's got some juice. And to that point, he is a, a uh, rare wide rare wide receiver who's big. He's not uh, super fast, but he's a vertical threat because he can make those difficult catches down the field. He's very good in those contested catch situations. Steve Tasker along with Chris Trapasso. We're going over a quick list of about five free agent wide receivers that Chris thinks is, are probably, you know, they're not... Bargain bin guys. Yeah, they're bargain bin guys. They're realistic mm-hmm. opportunities, particularly now that the Bills are in, in cap jail and we're talking like, like we have money to sign them. Um, one of the things also that you did, you put together a list of five guys, and this is where it gets really fun because if, if we're going to have Maddie Glab on during the week and then the next, coming weeks and start to do... Uh, Mock draft Roundup. analysis, right? Yeah. She does a great job with it. She that, does a great way. job with it. But there's one out today, uh, Mike Miller from, and I'm not sure where Mike ESPN. Miller, ESPN. Matt Miller. Matt Miller. I'm sorry. Forgive me, Matt. Uh, he's got the Bills taking. <laughs> he's got, <laughs> I'm laughing because, uh, yeah. They've got, he's got the Bills taking. Let, let me get the name right. The center. What's, where, where's it at, Jay, in the rundown? Okay, here. Yes, Jackson Powers Johnson. Oregon. Out of Oregon, he plays center. Um, I'll just say this. No way. There ain't no way the Bills are taking a center in, in the first round. I would be surprised. I mean, Mitch Morris may be gone, uh, but they do have Ryan Bates on the roster. I think they love Ryan Bates, and he's kind of the heir apparent to Mitch Morris. Uh, and... It would be surprising if the Bills went center in the first round. I don't think they're 100% <coughs> locked into wide receiver in round one. Could it be a safety? Could it be a defensive tackle? I think those would be the two other positions that they could target. If they went center in round one, that would be a little bit head-scratching. It would be a shocker. And, and, and No question, kid's a good player. He's, he weighs way over three Bills. He's like 335, plays like someone much lighter, very athletic, um, really drive blocker downhill blocker so he's he's got a lot going on he's going to play in the national football league but he's not going to get drafted by the bills number one overall or number one in the draft so but that's where we're at in these um you know these mock drafts in the early going i mean and and what's what's so important to kind of blend free agency with the draft you're mentioning guys laviska chenault and noah brown and kendrick bourne I think it's important to remember these guys will not have to come in and be the wide receiver number two. It's not going to be Stephon Diggs and, say, Kendrick Bourne. It's going to be Stephon Diggs, probably a first or a second round wide receiver as the wide receiver two, and then that free agent is a wide receiver three, throw in Shakir, Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid, the running backs. And that what is what I think is putting the Bills in, in a good situation moving forward in 2024 that you don't have to rely – on a bargain bin free agent wide receiver to be your number two. You want that 22-year-old, fresh-legged, super-talented rookie receiver to come in and take some of that attention away from your other established pieces. If you're relying on a Kendrick Bourne or a Noah Brown or a LaVisca Chanel as your wide receiver too, then I think you're back to the same problems that the Bills had late in the season and in the playoffs. So the Bills, from that perspective, I think are in a good spot Bring in your free agents that are cheap to be those role players on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and of course, in now in Matt Miller's defense, in the second round, he does have Buffalo taking Jalen Polk, who's a wide receiver out of Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Now, Polk, he's a big physical receiver. He excels at underneath and choice routes. Uh, he was the number two option at Washington behind, behind a guy named Odunze. But he still caught, even at the number two option, 69 passes for 1,159 yards, nine touchdowns. He's a he's, downfield guy. Yeah, he's 6'2", 204. Um, and there's, there's talk that he may have it in him to, to emerge as a number one guy somewhere down the, down the line. He's got that kind of body, and, and maybe all he needs is an opportunity. And that's a good point to bring that up about Jalen Polk, and, and I think you can spread that out more generally, that given Stephon Diggs' age, that he is going to be 31 next season when he's playing for the Bills most likely, um, that it's not just about getting wide receiver number two production out of a rookie. It's can this guy eventually become – the wide receiver one for Josh Allen. And when they're playing across the street at the new stadium, you're drafting someone in the first round in 2024 that you hope by probably 2025 or 2026 is the number one wide receiver in this offense. So for as much as the Bills want to just get there, get a Super Bowl, win a championship, and being pro-ready right now I think certainly matters, and, and the Bills will consider that, I do think there will be some, do we see this wide receiver, whether we, you know, He's picked in the first or the second round. Can he be a Stephon Diggs replacement eventually and be a wide receiver one with Josh? Yeah, and in a perfect world, you have a guy like, whether it's this Jalen Polk or another guy, come in and you know get on the field early, start catching passes early in the season, and then by weeks 10, 12, November, 14, December. 16, he does elevate and start to become a guy they more re- yep. readily rely on. And much like, much like Khalil Shakir did this season mm-hmm. in his second year, yep. came in and was a – Kind of a little bit of an afterthought, kind of a let's see, find out about him early in the season. Now Khalil is really one of the mainstays of that offense at the end of the season, and that's what you kind of like this high-round draft pick wide receiver to be able to do with Steph Diggs. And my biggest thing with the Bills is they just need to pick a wide receiver that we have seen and and do it early, that there's been a little bit of the Bills ignoring that position early in the draft, and why I'm saying they just need to do it is this regime under Brandon Bean has proven to be pretty good at evaluating wide receivers in the draft. They just haven't picked a lot of them. Gabe Davis in the fourth round, great return on investment there. Khalil Shakir, a fifth rounder, has proven to be you know, one of the more reliable slot receivers, young slot receivers in the NFL. I think he has a very bright future. Even Isaiah Hodgins, who started in Buffalo and now is with the Giants, as a sixth rounder, he's a pretty good player. So they've haven't drafted a lot of wide receivers. Even Ray Ray McLeod, a seventh rounder that Brandon Bean picked in his first draft out of Clemson um, in 2018. He's on the 49ers. He's their Still main re- he's their main return guy. He plays out of the slot. He's not one of the top targets, but he's stuck around. He's on a good team. They've retained him in San Francisco. So the Bills do have a pretty good track record identifying the right wide receiver wide receivers, they just need to pick one relatively early in this draft. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso, will the Bills get better through free agency this offseason? is a question we're asking you. You can call us if you like. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. This is Buffalo Bills Radio, and this is One Bills Live. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso. Uh, are the Bills going to get better through age, free agency this offseason? It's a question we put to you. Got some feedback on the tweet sheet. A tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. From Allen, he says, now, the cap's weight is over way too much this time around to give anybody worth a nickel a serious look. From Robert, he says, yeah. 
because Bean will work his magic Jedi mind tricks and whatever it is that he uses to help this team. Uh, from Carl, he says, yeah, the same way they have for the past few years, low-priced veterans that want a chance to win. There's some of that going around. For sure. And, and, and like you mentioned, Leonard Floyd, uh, that was a late signing in free agency that everyone's like, oh, wow, that's a pretty good signing. Taylor Rapp being another one that signed a one-year deal. Um, Tim Settle in the past. Guys that either are veterans who just want to try to win a Super Bowl or those up-and-comers that maybe weren't in a prominent role with their previous team that are willing to sign a cheaper deal because the Bills are good and they have Josh Allen. Yeah, that's going to be... That's part of their free agent pitch. The culture here has been a a selling point for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. Von Miller alluded to it. I think uh, Leonard Floyd will probably uh, aspire to it. Jordan Phillips has been a huge proponent of what it means to be a Buffalo Bill and has thrived... Uh, here in Buffalo. Word's gotten out. Plus, this is a team, not for nothing. We talked about the Pro Bowl and how guys go out there because you know, guys get hurt and whatever. Mm-hmm. This is a team that notoriously, I say notoriously, they don't let they protect guys from themselves. Yeah. If you're not ready to play, they're not going to let you play, whether you want to or not. They're on the cautious side of injuries. They're not forcing you back yeah, onto the and field. And that's in, in the – vacuum of the off season where you're not really trying to go on a playoff run you're smart enough to say you know what that means something yeah and i think beyond just those examples of leonard floyd and tim settle and taylor rapp how about over the last three or four off seasons jordan poyer coming back Matt Milano maybe taking a little yeah. less money coming back. Micah Hyde coming back. So I think for an outside free agent, they could say, man, Matt Milano probably could have signed a, a bigger deal elsewhere. Same with Jordan Poyer, that they've been able to retain, whether they're through the draft or were ultimately first brought in through free agency like Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Those guys are, like you're saying, because of the culture and because they win a lot of football games, you know, 48 and 18 in the last four years, they – get here and then they want to come back and are willing to maybe take a little bit of a pay cut. Mitch Morse takes a pay cut. Naheem Hines takes a pay cut. Um, I think that speaks to the outside free agents as well. No question. Uh, from Andrew on the tweet sheet, he says, the biggest question is with what money? I think this team's going to have to build through the draft and get young talent and hope they step up and prove themselves. I predict a very young Bills team this next season. Well, they, they weren't young this year. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I think they will be markedly, on average, younger than they were this year. Yep. Um, I think it's not... I'm not too afraid of that, though. What's good, too, and like you mentioned it last segment, they don't have a ton of money. We, we mentioned some bargain bin free agents. They'll, they'll add guys here and there. But what's good about the Bills' situation this offseason, this is a draft that they have with 10 draft picks, like you mentioned. Had they been going in with, say, they traded away a bunch of picks, they only had five draft picks and no money, it's hard to replenish your roster, like you were uh, kind of mentioning if you have 10 draft picks, maybe you don't make all 10, maybe you trade up once or twice, but to bring in a, a bigger draft class, cheap, young labor, you kind of need that when you're a team that is paying a quarterback a ton of money and doesn't have a lot of cap space like the Bills have. Yeah, it's the, it's the economics of, of the NFL now. You've got to have guys who outperform their contracts, mm-hmm. and sometimes all they got to do is show up to do that because yeah. they, need, they need a warm body yeah. <laughs> uh, at the bottom of the roster. Uh, from Andrea, last one on the tweet sheet, I have all the faith in the world in Brandon Bean. We, have some cre- we need some creative book work when it comes to our cap situation. Yeah, they, people think it's creative book work by Brandon Bean. Basically, it's not it, it is, can be a little creative at times, but mostly it's Terry Pagula writing the check. Yeah, that's true. You know, because that's what happens. You have to give them the money up front. 
so that you can spread out a huge cap hit over the over yep. the coming years. And that's uh, that's basically what what it a comes lot of down owners to. won't do that either. Some owners will not do it. They won't they won't give them the green so light that, to do so it. So that and, certainly helps. And uh, that's been one of the reasons Brandon Bean's been able to build yep. the roster as he has. Yep. All right, we're going to take a break. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso, we'll be back at the top of the hour. We've got a lot more to talk about free agency, the draft, uh, coaching moves, a lot of stuff going on in the National Football League. And, of course, there's uh, some sort of game going on this next weekend. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso, this is One Bills Live presented by Collider Health. This is Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Chris Terpasso here till 3 o'clock. We're going to talk, spend a little time now going over. We, we talked last segment um, a little bit about four or five free agents that are realistic or in the price range for the Buffalo Bills at wide receiver. And uh, you got guys like um, LaVisca Cheneau, Kendrick Bourne, Noah Brown, K.J. Osborne, uh, Olamide Zacchaeus uh, from the Philadelphia Eagles this last year. But we, now we're going to talk about four or five guys that are maybe chances for the Bills to be around when the Bills draft at number 28 and, and number 60, whatever they, whatever they fall, um, wide receivers as well. This is going to – and I hope all you, our listeners, our faithful listeners who listen every day, you're going to get sick to death <laughs> of hearing about wide receivers and the Buffalo Bills drafting one. Yeah, I mean, it's a priority, and it's a fun position. It's, to me, a position that I think at this point is the second most important position on the field after quarterback. Now, you could say left tackle, edge rusher, but if you do not have quality wide receivers, plural, and I think we've seen the last two division round losses for the Bills, I think they were a little deficient beyond Stephon Diggs. I mean, Khalil Shakir certainly stepped up, but I think – comparing around the league when you're looking at the Super Bowl and there's Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and the Chiefs have a bunch of different weapons that they can spread the football around to. Um, I think it's a sign that you do need to have two or three quality receivers. And it's just the stars have a line for the Bills to late in the first round or maybe in the second go wide receiver where they haven't done that in a really long time. All right, so let's start um, with, you know, it's interesting that I'm getting to the point in my life where you're starting to see names that you recognize and recognize because I played with their dad. <laughs> uh, Lad McConkey from Georgia, career catch rate over 75%, 30 forced missed tackles, and he runs well with, after the ball, yeah. after it's caught. Um, talking with one at the bottom of the list there. What, give us a story about this uh, Georgia receiver. Yeah, so anyone that's watched Georgia football over the last couple of years, and they've really only, and they've lost one game in three years, uh, Lad McConkey was not a, a high-volume guy, but runs awesome routes, catches everything. You're not going to see concentration drops or a throw right in the bread basket that he drops. What I like about him and why I think he's maybe even a possible consideration in the first round, 
he he's a plus athlete. He's not just someone that wins with quickness and is not really that fast, can't jump very high. I think he's going to test very well at the Combine. Will that be all the way to 28? We'll see, but certainly in the first couple rounds, if the Bills wanted someone to hit the ground running right away, can be a 50-60 catch guy as a rookie, if maybe more with Josh Allen. That's Lad Mackey. Yeah. And he's played well at the highest level you can check him out at, um, yep. given unless it's pro football in another league. But this guy's doing it against you know, SEC schools at the highest first level round, and first-round corners. corners. So he's yep. doing it against superior athletes, which is what you want to really see as well. Um, another guy that you've talked – well, and I say Lad McConkey, his dad, I think it's his dad – I think Phil or his uncle or something. Phil, I think Phil McConkey. I'm not sure if they're related. I don't know either. I, I, I don't think that out. I, he's, he's he falls in that age group though, right? So I'm. It would work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, another one is Jermaine Burton, Alabama. Um, he's got really fast guy, uh, over 20 yards of grab in 2023, 18 yards of catch in his Crimson Tide career. Uh, this is a guy. I, I he can fly. Right? Yeah. To me, he is the most effortlessly fast wide receiver in the entire class. Now, I haven't watched every single receiver, but I'm like 15 to 20 guys deep. Jermaine Burton just wakes up and can run in the 4-4s. I think he's going to probably run in the 4-3s at the Combine. Decent size, right around six foot, 200 pounds. He played on the perimeter at Alabama. And like a lot of these players now, Steve, started at Georgia, transferred to Alabama, and was good in both places. He was a contributor on some of those Georgia Bulldogs teams four and or three and four years ago. Goes to Alabama, like you mentioned, averages a crazy amount of yards per catch. Um, not a lot after the catch, but his route running is good. Very sure hands. If the Bills want to add speed and a vertical element that I think was missing in this offense, we all kind of agree that that's what the Bills need. Jermaine Burton, probably not a first-rounder, maybe even a second or a third-rounder. The Bills should probably have him in their crosshairs. Yeah, and this is – you know, it's great to see all these young guys, and I love watching the highlights. I mean, I Brownie sits there at his desk and goes through these guys. And, and you, film, know what yeah. it's, you know what it's like. Yeah. Uh, the problem is – it's hard to get film on them. You can see their highlights. I want to see their lowlights. Yeah. You know, you I see want the whole to, thing. I want to see what they re- are away from the ball. I want to see when their number's not called. Uh, some of that goes into this as well, particularly if you're going to draft them high in the draft. Mm, for sure. You've got to know more about them than just what their top end is. And specifically with wide receivers, that yes, you can see the highlights, the, the deep balls, the contested catches. Are they able to beat press coverage at the line of scrimmage? That's something that a lot of receivers don't see very frequently in college. In the SEC, more so than other conferences. But if you can't beat a guy one-on-one in press coverage, you're going to have problems early in the NFL with physicality. And are you good after the catch? I am the biggest yards after the catch proponent you're probably going to see in the NFL media field. I, I just think you have to be able to take that slant 40 yards for a big play or 50 yards for a touchdown. The Bills have gotten better in that regard, but I still think they could improve. The Chiefs and the the 49ers, the two teams in the Super Bowl, have for the last five or six years been the best yards after the catch teams in football. You make Josh Allen's life a little easier. He can throw a shallow cross that turns into a 30-yard gain. So you got to watch that too. And not all these receivers are great after the catch. So in scouting, you love the highlights, but you also have to mark down what are the weaknesses for these players. And, and just incidentally, the guy we were talking about at first, Lad McConkey, is no relation to Phil McConkey, the no old relation. giant. No relation. So okay. I got that cleared up, but still, I have scar tissue, so I think about those <laughs> things. All right. Another guy is Troy Franklin out of Oregon, a uh, little taller guy. 
um, also had some good numbers from last year. Yeah, he's someone that is probably right behind Jermaine Burton, the easiest speed, I, like I like to call it, in the entire class. Like He absolutely glides. Very unique frame. He's listed and be monitoring this at the combine. I certainly will. He is listed at six foot three and 187 pounds. That is tall and lanky. And if you look back the last three to five years at the combine, some of these crazy fast guys getting in the four twos or, or, or low four threes are usually in that between 180 and 190 pound range where they can really fly down the football field. What I like about Troy Franklin in terms of his career reminds me a lot of Khalil Shakir is that uh, three years back-to-back-to-back to back to back at a marquee school where he was productive. This was not someone that just in his final season as a senior really showed out. I mean, the touchdown numbers went up considerably, but the catches, the receiving yards for Troy Franklin down the football field at 6'3", can certainly play on the outside. That's really where he was mostly aligned in college. He's that number 28 overall pick. I think that's where he's going to probably have to be selected. And if you're like, hey, the Bills need to add a, a vertical element to the offense, if it's not Jermaine Burton in the second round, it might have to be Troy Franklin from Oregon. Watch his Entire film, but certainly his highlights, you see a lot of big catches on the vertical route tree. Yeah, so and it's it's it, it's fun to go down and look at these guys because they all have nice careers and they all play. They all there's so really many good, good receivers. And today I always, yes, this is a very deep draft. class in it, and um, and you continue to go down the list. This Brian Thompson Jr. now out of LSU, Brownie loves this guy. Yeah, I'm why a fan does too. he? Why? So he's listed as my number two guy here because you watch Malik Neighbors, who is the more high-profile LSU wide receiver. You're watching him, you say, okay, man, he looks like a top-ten pick. But as you're watching, again, not just the highlights, you're watching full games from LSU last season. Of course, they had Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman at quarterback. You're like, who is this bigger wide receiver that's making a ton of plays down the field? He had like over 15 touchdowns last season. You're like, it's Brian Thomas Jr., Six foot four, 205, so another taller, more sleek framed wide receiver. Yards after the catch are good because he's just a, a moose in space. And being six foot four, Brian Thomas plays to his size. You can throw him a slot fade from the 20 yard line, a, a normal goal line fade. Josh Allen could just throw the football on a post route down the field and be pretty rest assured that Brian Thomas is going to come down with the football. So he is a vertical element to the offense because he's fast and because, like I mentioned with Kendrick Bourne, he can just come down with the football in those contested catches. That was kind of a problem for this Bills wide receiver group as a whole, especially late in the season. And being at LSU, they have a long lineage of high-caliber wide receivers. Odell Beckham Jr., chief among them. Brian Thomas Jr. will probably be the second LSU wide receiver off the board in the first round. Because he's not quite as dynamic of an athlete, he's not going to go as early as his teammate Malik Neighbors, but I think he's someone that would be there at 28 most likely or in within striking distance for Brandon Bean to trade up and is a hit-the-ground-running type who's going to be good as a rookie. And like I mentioned earlier, can ultimately mature into being that wide receiver number one in the coming years for Buffalo. So the final, finally, we get to your your top guy who may be as you know a, a guy that's there. Javon Baker, UCF, started at Alabama. He had twenty two yards per catch this last season. Twenty two yards a catch this last season. Twenty two yards a catch, and that tells you all you need to know. Is he a vertical threat? Yes, absolutely. Now, I don't think he's going to run as fast as Troy Franklin or as fast as Jermaine Burton, but 
the contested catches, the acrobatic grabs near the sideline, body control, contorting his body, twisting in the air. He is as good as any wide receiver in this class. Six foot one, 208 at the Senior Bowl. From all the reports that I read down in Mobile, he had an awesome week. And with Javon Baker, his athleticism is as smooth as any wide receiver in this class. And, and that means being flexible, taking uh, physicality in the route and, and not getting pushed off the route. Yards after the catch are certainly there. He kind of reminds me of Stephon Diggs a little bit, a bigger version of Stephon Diggs, who was a fifth-round pick out of Maryland. He was not a, a you know super highly sought-after prospect in that draft class in 2015. So Javon Baker is someone that you're not going to hear as much about um, compared to Brian Thomas or Troy Franklin. And the Bills could probably get him in the second round. I don't think it's out of the question that Javon Baker tests into the first round because I think the vertical that you saw on film is, is going to be close to 40 inches, if not higher. And he's just someone that on film, I absolutely loved his entire skill set, beating press coverage, routes, the athleticism, and then again, that ability in traffic when there's a safety over the top or a corner's in tight that Javon Baker can make those difficult grabs. Did that a lot on his way to averaging 22 yards per catch last season. So how many guys – all right, so you got these five guys, Lad McConkie, Jermaine Burton, Tony Franklin, Brian Thomas Jr., Javon Baker. How many guys, generally speaking, are you talking about are going to go above these guys? How, what's the range? Is it going to be like four to five guys ahead of these guys or – more or less? What do you think? That's a really good question. Last year, there was famously four wide receivers that went in a row right in front of the Bills. Now, we'll never know. Were they going to pick one of those wide receivers, or do they just love Dalton Kincaid? I, I kind of think they just love Dalton Kincaid, traded up for him. Um, probably three in this draft class. Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, and probably one more. We don't know who that's going to be. That could be Brian Thomas Jr. It's very... NFL combine contingent and you can look back at the history of wide receivers and and Steve knows this from his time uh, playing the fast wide receivers the guys who test well they usually go higher you you can't be a mid four five wide receiver and go in the first round so we'll see Roma Dunze from Washington he may test a little bit slower and maybe he's all of a sudden available I I didn't put him on that list because I didn't think based on his film, that he would be there at 28. But in this draft class, I think you can kind of pencil in, or maybe write in pen, three receivers in front of the Bills at 28, um, which is better than what happened last uh, year. Right, and you're right. And how it falls, there's a lot to find out before the draft. For sure, and the combine uh, is the huge. Combine and pro is days. huge, and the pro days are huge. The interviews are, are just as big as all of that. Um, the pro days and even the combine – First thing is the medical. If the guy is 100% healthy, that's job one. Huge. If he's had an injury, what's it like? What's it look like? And that's when the teams get their doctor's hands on him. And secondly, secondly important is the interviews. When they sit down and go face-to-face with this guy, does he impress them as a human being, as a leader, as a, as a football player? What motivates him? Those are the first two things that happen at the Combine. None of us know anything about what happens. And, and we never hear about it either. It's all it's – all, eye candy when they go out and run 40s and do all the running and stuff I like always that. find that disparity really interesting with the combine that you may get a leaked report of someone had a great interview or, or bombed his interview but there's one part of the combine you see all the numbers you know how fast they ran you know how high they jumped how far they jumped the three cone but like what you mentioned and I hear it every year in Indianapolis. The most important parts are the interviews and the medicals. That is does not get released to the media, to the public. So you don't know someone on film 
could be awesome, could run 4-4 with a 40-inch vertical. But even as a receiver, if he doesn't understand how to sit down in zone, is it man or zone, and and understanding all that doesn't seem too motivated, um, that could ultimately drop him in the draft, and we just won't know until draft weekend. That's right. And some of these guys will, uh, believe me, these teams employ professional interrogators to find out about what makes this guy tick. Mm -hmm. They ask pointed questions, difficult questions. That's why once in a while you get somebody who's not like that to ask some cockamamie question Mm -hmm. that – it's like that gets out, and then it's like they, the team looks bad. <laughs> so they have professionals do it. And the way the kid answers, his, his language, the, the words he uses, his attitude in answering it, and what he doesn't say um, all goes into it. And they find out, they know when push comes to shove, what, why the kid really plays football. And, and you think the old question is, you know, do you like football? Well, you got to be a, a dope not to say, of course I like fool. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> you say it every time. There are guys that don't mean it. Yeah, They think they mean it, but they don't. And through questioning, you find out what guys are going to be motivated when they get paid, when they get hurt, when they, when they, have some, you know, they come up some hard luck. Um, all of this stuff, uh, you're going to find out. Exa- you're going to know exactly how that guy's going to react. And that's important if you're going to give the kid – literally a 20 million dollar contract that's all guaranteed he better check a lot of boxes that you can't really readily see yeah and one story on this note uh so i mentioned stefan Diggs in the 2015 draft goes in the fifth round what's so interesting about that that was one of the first draft the second draft class that i really dove into stefan Diggs was the number one wide receiver recruit coming out of high school in his in his final season he could have gone anywhere he decides to stay home at maryland in the final season at Maryland was not as good as his second to last season. And now he admits that he was making some business choices. He was, you know, running out of bounds on, on a third and five, one yard short. That ultimately led to him going in the fifth round. When the Vikings picked him, they were getting like a first or a second round talent with Stefan Diggs. So all those things, you wonder, hey, how is he still there in the fifth round? This guy was great at Maryland. He admits now, and, and I, I've heard interviews from him since he's joined the Bills, that he was open about that. And he said, look, I didn't want to get hurt. I wanted to provide for my family. Um, And in his final season, he maybe didn't play it at 100% effort. Once he got to the NFL, though, we've seen how much of a tireless worker he is. So a lot of those components go into the draft um, that we don't see and we don't hear about until years later, if at all. And it's a different world now, you know, eight or nine years later, however long Diggs has been in the league. And it's, it's vastly different from when I played. You've got guys multiple guys opting out of the bowl games for their teams and transferring uh, transferring schools uh making some business decisions openly and overtly mm-hmm. for their own careers at the college level uh it's a little bit more accepted now and quite frankly it's probably the smart thing to do in a lot of respects yep. but they're getting to the point where they do understand that if they do strap it on and they go they better play well yeah they better play well because if they don't uh, it does say something about them there's the stuff you hear even about Caleb Williams and people are starting to dissect what he has done in his career. There have been times when he did not look great in games or whatever. And it wasn't the fact that he didn't play well or threw an interception. It was what he was doing on the sidelines mm-hmm. after that interception or when his team was down 
and he they needed some leadership. Was he providing the kind of leadership with body language, with the posture, and all that stuff on the sidelines? He's taken some criticism for that. Yeah, and that's a fantastic point too. That again can be tied back to the Bills. I remember reading a couple of profiles this time of year on Bills GM Brandon Bean. And he mentions that he, and I believe at the time it it was um, assistant GM Joe Shane, and I'm sure a lot of the Bill staff does this still today, they travel in season to college games, you know, on Saturday. And part of me reading these, I'm thinking, why does Brandon Bean need to go to LSU Alabama? He can watch the film. He can rewind it. He can zero in. And in those profiles, he mentions, look, I go to watch the game. I take notes on some of the players that we're watching, but I mostly go to watch when that player gets off the sideline. Is he yelling at his teammates? Is he going right over to the coaches to get criticism to try to get better? Is he going to the Microsoft Surface and seeing what he did wrong on on this play, whether he be a quarterback or a wide receiver, corner? Uh, And I thought that was interesting, that even in this day where we have so much technology available and certainly a GM for an NFL team doesn't have any problems getting film, he still makes those trips from Buffalo down to LSU and Georgia and Florida State to watch, like what you just mentioned, on the sideline, how those players interact with coaches, how coachable they are, and how they are toward their teammates. Because like you mentioned earlier, the culture in Buffalo it, under Sean McDermott has certainly become a thing that absolutely matters. All right, we're going we're gonna to take a break here. We're going to take a, a call uh, from Judy in Buffalo and um, see what she has to say. Judy, this is, you're on with Steve and Chris. What's on your mind? <clears throat> Several things. Okay, the only free agent I like is Kendrick Bourne. I've watched him with New England. I was, he was very impressive in games against us. So if we go that way, I would be in on Kendrick Bourne. Secondly, we, ha- we have a receiver that we drafted in the fifth round, Justin Shorter. Mm-hmm. We're not even mentioning him. Is, is he a wasted commodity or is he a prospect? He's Third, injured. Go ahead. Yeah, I I realize that, but I mean, is he going to stay injured for two, three years? What? <laughs> okay, go ahead. Next, okay, the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Rams drafted a receiver in the first round who were very impactful. That is why I keep saying you draft two speedy receivers. I don't know who they are, and forgive me, but a quality backup quarterback. Mm. Those are my comments. All right, Judy, those good are good. stuff. Yeah, you're right, and and yep. I I'll agree with you. I there's a couple of ways to do it, and I would agree with your way to do it. You draft a bunch of those guys and pick the best one. Now, Justin Shorter, I I personally I have high hopes for him. Uh, I see him walking around the building. Um, he is he was he's been he was on IR this year, so he wasn't going to play. Uh, I would suspect. Oh, I haven't had this verified, and I don't I, I don't know anything about anything. I'm just suspecting that the Bills stashed him. Yeah there uh to keep him around i think the guy's really gifted and the thing with shorter is at florida at six five almost 230 he's a big dude he was a down the field post route and go route wide receiver who did not drop a lot of passes so i i've kind of had suspicion that he was that gabe davis insurance that they're like if gabe davis either disappoints or he's not on the team in 2024 we'll have someone that can maybe not do everything at wide receiver but be that vertical element He'll have to he'll have to expand his route tree. I mean, if he's sure. deep, he's got to run more routes and all that. And he may be, and he's obviously working on that this this off season. And mm-hmm. if he was healthy enough to practice at all during the season, he would do that as well. 
Uh, but he, um, I, I've got high hopes for him. Also, Ken, I, I agree with you. Kendrick Bourne is a guy that's very intriguing to me. He killed our team at times, and uh, I'd love to have him on our side. And the philosophy of like Baltimore, L.A. Rams, and uh, and Kansas City drafting a number one wideout. Um, some teams do that. Other teams do not. Uh, for whatever they believe, an elite quarterback can elevate the guys around him. The Kansas City's in the Super Bowl. They got rid of an elite wide receiver in in, in uh, Tyreek Tyree, Tyree Hill. Um, Aaron Rodgers kept going to the playoffs and kept playing really well in Green Bay, and they famously never gave him a number one wide receiver. They always drafted later and gave him guys. But he, although he did get the guy from uh, that he got that went to the Raiders, what's that, the receiver Devontae Adams? Devontae Adams. They, yeah. they did get guys like that. Yeah, but Ele- was that. Aaron Rodgers elevating the guy a little bit with his play, and, and teams will mm-hmm. rely on that from an elite quarterback. Yeah, and that's why I've said, Judy, that I think it's that the Bills don't have to pick a receiver in the first round, but one of the first two rounds I think makes a lot of sense. And Devonte Adams was was a second round pick. Debo Samuel, second round pick. Rasheed mm-hmm. Rice, second round pick. There's still quality talent with how much wide receiver talent there is in the college game today, you can get to round two. You can get to pick 60 and still get a, a guy who's ultimately becomes a number one wide receiver. But the Bills just have to pick it early yeah. on. I'll speak very quickly on the backup quarterback thing. I think makes a lot of sense at this point. We saw this season, not with the Bills, but the rest of the NFL, how important backup quarterback is. I don't love the, the, the back-end depth at the quarterback spot, but being that it's the most vital position on the field, and if Josh Allen were to be injured for a few games, you want a quality player there, it wouldn't be the worst idea later in the draft for the uh, Bills to ultimately go in that I'm, direction. I'm more of a quality, veteran? Of, a proven veteran, veteran who's, okay. who everybody thinks is over the hill and who's not. All you're okay. going to need the guy for is like four starts. That's at it. Most. A month. Joe Flacco gave the Browns that, and the guy's like 9,000 years old. That's what you need. (laughs) Plus, he's got some wherewithal and some experience that in the crunch times, he can give some real advice to the guy who's actually going to – you want to do it, and that's Josh. I'm more of a a line not to draft the guy, get a guy who's done it and just wants to hang out for a year and maybe have a chance to win. That's Mm -hmm. that's my philosophy on the backup quarterback. We're going to take a break. Chris Trapasso, Steve Tasker, we'll be back with more of your tweet sheet and some more stuff about the draft coming up. Uh, This is One Bills Live, and you're listening to Buffalo Bills Radio, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso here till the top of the hour. Uh, we're going over uh, the question we put to you is, can the Bills get better or will the Bills get better in free agency this offseason? Most people say, yeah, there's a chance, but it's going to have to be at bargain basement prices. We're also taking phone calls, and we'll start this segment off with Wolf from Olean. If I can get him put up. Hold on. Come on. Okay, there we go. Wolf, you're on. Go ahead. Yeah, you guys are talking about receivers in the draft, and I kind of correlate that with uh, quarterbacks in the first round. It's kind of boom or bust, uh, in my opinion. It really is. It's kind of a crapshoot. I think uh, receivers are kind of spinning the wheel. Um, It's really 50-50 in the first round. You think about uh, it's hit or miss for me. Um, You look at teams – Around the league, it's to me, it's spinning the wheel. It's 
It's it's really hit or miss, just like really any position in a draft. I think of, to me, as a lifelong Viking fan, I look at recent history. Several years ago, a highly touted receiver like uh, Laquan Treadwell around the same position in the draft, complete bust. Several years later, a Justin Jefferson he hit the gold mine. You know, it's it's just in both similar draft grades. You know, you get what you get, and uh, it's 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 similar with quarterbacks. You might strike it rich, and you might just come up empty. And you watch the draft gurus like a a Mel Kuyper or a Todd McShay. You know, they throw you bouquets on draft night. You hit the jackpot, but you don't know what you have until you have it, and and it, it really is hit or miss. The draft, you never know what you've got until the returns come in. And that's my comment. I just want to see what your guest thinks about that. I appreciate it. Thanks. Up and listen. Thanks, Wolf. Appreciate the call. Uh, Chris, you want to answer Yeah, I, I think, Wolf, you make a very good point that no one really knows anything when it comes to the draft. Even these teams that have investigators and guys watching film and, and, and super smart football guys, general managers, directors of college scouting, a whole drove of scouts. But I think the point here with the Bills is – like and. You kind of mentioned it, Wolf. You don't know at any position. It's not like, hey, you know if you pick a center, he's going to be an all-pro. That That's certainly not the case. In the case of the Bills this year, they just have to roll the dice at wide receiver. You don't, of course, say, hey, we're, we pick, let's say, Troy Franklin, and we know he's going to be the next Stephon Diggs, or he's going to be Laquan Treadwell. But it's time for the Bills to take that role in the first or in the second round. And like I just mentioned earlier, the second round has a very good track record over the last five to ten years with a lot of guys who, of course, during the time of the draft, were were the fifth or sixth or seventh receiver off the board who have become really good pros. So it's not that if the Bills pick a receiver in the first round, we are just say, hey, look – they have their future 1,000-yard wide receiver, but it's time for them to take that role at the table. There's a million moving parts to what makes a human being a human being, and you can't, it's hard to predict what they're going to sure. do when certain aspects of their life changes, when they become go from college to becoming a professional, when they go mm-hmm. from you know, having that guy throwing to them to this guy throwing to them, uh, when they're getting coached by that guy as opposed to this guy, where they have to go out and find a place to live, be an adult, basically, and grow up and get your own get a job do it and you know the whole yeah. thing yeah uh, there's a million moving parts so you never know how that's going to project on some kid who you're talking to who's had his hand held for four years through college what i think a big thing is to wolf's point and to what you just said all of those moving parts how does a wide receiver handle adversity or any player any first mm-hmm. round a quarterback i think the fact that josh allen was at wyoming was not playing with a bunch of five-star wide receivers and awesome offensive line. And there were times where they would go to Iowa and get blown out, and they played Oregon and got embarrassed, where he had already had the experience of dealing with adversity. Certainly, at this point, we all know how he went from you know being a zero-star recruit in the junior college route and no one wanted him. I think that for a Laquan Treadwell or a Jalen Rager, guys who have struggled, let's just say, at wide receiver – they're stars. They go from five-star recruits. They're the best player on their college team, and then suddenly, first overall draft, first draft, you're first a first-round draft, round draft pick. pick. Yeah. Suddenly, 
you don't just go out and in your sleep have five catches for 125 yards. So that ultimately factors in too. And that really is something that you do not know until you get to September of their rookie season. How do they handle not being the best player on the field from day one? It takes time to develop to become that guy. Yeah, it does. And um, it's you're right. Some guys... Some guys can handle it, and some have can't. all the four, the five star, six cars, first round draft, and they and they crumble. Uh, other guys, and I'll say this too: there is something to having a chip on your shoulder when you come in, and you you thought you were going to be a higher round draft pick, and you're not, or you had this going for you, and for the first time in your life, you're just another guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that motivates guys, and sometimes that makes guys crumble, and. That's what these interview processes exactly. are all about. They find out which are you going to do yeah. when, when you hit adversity hits. So let's take another phone call. Let's go to Elliot. Uh, Elliot, go ahead. You're on with Chris hey. and Steve. Hey, Steve and Chris. Chris, love your stuff on your mock drafts, and uh, I use it a lot to make some of my own, actually. Nice. So Thanks. love your stuff. Um, and so I was looking at one of the mocks you put out, and you had the Bills taking Tez Walker out of North Carolina. I know his work. And kind of film is a little bit limited. He dealt with some crap from the NCAA, but um, you also notably have uh, the Jags and the Bengals taking uh, Jags taking Romo Dunte, and the Bengals taking Brian Thomas Jr. with T. Higgins likely leaving. So my thing is, in my opinion, the Bills need a guy that can catch the ball downfield, a bigger guy, um, you know, guy that can replace like a Gabe Davis type who's likely going to be departing. We love Gabe, but uh, just probably won't be able to afford him. Um, I'm more in the bucket that, th- you know, thinks the Bills need a guy like Brian Thomas Jr. I like Brian Thomas Jr. over, you know, the Keon Coleman's and Tez Walker's personally. Um, but I called to see what you think, um, The what kind of guy fits best with the Bills, because Lad McConkey's a great prospect, um, but a smaller one. Um, he would be great, but I think Josh Allen is a guy he can get the ball downfield too. People criticize him for his turnovers. Uh, much of the time it's third and long, fourth and long, and they're going for it. He chucks it downfield. With the Shakirs, the Digs, I don't think those guys are big enough to make those plays uh, when Josh Allen's putting it up. So just curious on what you both think. What kind of guy fits best uh, for the Bills in that spot? Yeah, Thanks, guys. I – so I'll start, Elliot. I, I always go back to the 2020 Bills when they had Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley underneath, catching everything out of the slot, underneath, just chain mover. Yep. John Brown, who even at that point was getting close to 30, ran in the low 4-3s, 4-3-4, coming out of Pittsburgh State mm-hmm. 2014. He was a downfield guy. And then you throw in this downfield rookie at the time, Gabe Davis, who could also get down the field. To me, that was the best, most dynamic Bills offense in the Josh Allen era to date. They need a vertical element to their wide receiver group. That doesn't mean that he doesn't need to do anything else, certainly getting a more well-rounded skill set, whether that is Brian Thomas or Troy Franklin or Jermaine Burton. Whatever that is, it needs to be, it, it needs to come with beating teams over the top. And I think you saw it in the division around loss to the Chiefs and late in the season and then certainly last year when they brought back John Brown and Cole Beasley late in the season that they were not able to threaten teams at all three levels. Underneath, we're still very good. Intermediate level, Josh Allen is always going to be as good as any quarterback in the league just based on how accurate he is, how fast he can throw the football, digs getting open there. Now with the tight ends at the intermediate level, they missed the downfield element. So 
it's impossible to tell how many receivers are off the board, who's available, but what's good is I think, and we outlined them earlier, whether it's Brian Thomas or it's Troy Franklin or it's Jermaine Burton, Javon Baker, there are a a or there is a glut of downfield wide receivers in this draft class. Yeah, and that's why. So one more thing. Go ahead. Go on. Oh, okay, I was just going to say, um, notably the Bengals and Chiefs are going to be a terror for the Bills, and the Bills are a terror for them respectively. But um, my thing is, we got to make sure the Chiefs don't jump us, and mm-hmm. I think the. What would the Bills be willing to give up to jump the Bengals to get who they believe to be the best, you know, wide receiver prospect? Because to add a, a great talent to Jamar Chase is just going to be a nightmare. So that was the second part of my question: is I, I really think if we can jump to seventeen, sixteen, I don't, I don't know historically what you would have to give up to jump twelve spots in the first round. Mm-hmm. But that was the second part. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, you you might be right. And, and listen, we're sitting here because we know the Bills really well, and I don't know how well you know the Bills, and, and thanks for the call, Elliot. Um, I, who knows who's going to go before you? And you're right. You're going to have to find out not as, as much about the other teams and their wishes sure. and needs uh, as you know about your own and about the, the prospects. Yes, they may lose T. Higgins, uh, might the Bengals. Uh, they, might, they might, they might not. They probably will. But that doesn't mean that automatically you're going to plug a guy in in the first round of the draft to take his place. They may feel like they have other needs, uh, a team like sure. the Bengals. Um, I, I couldn't, and I don't know the Bengals, so I can't tell you if that's the case or not, but it, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, we'll see. They're re, they, you're right, though. You, when you look around, when you're in the Bills spot, you're looking at the Chiefs, you're looking at the Bengals, you're looking at the Ravens. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, what I would say to that point, with 10 draft picks and the fact that 2019 is the only year that Brandon Bean has not traded up in the first round, done it the last two years, 2020 no draft pick, 2019 picked Ed Oliver, and then, of course, 2018 with with Edmonds and Josh Allen, he traded up. So he has a history of making those ascensions, and I think Brandon Bean is certainly looking at the Ravens and, and where the or what the Chiefs might ultimately do and, and what the Bengals are going to do. For as much as I advocate making as many draft picks as possible just to get as much young, fresh, cheap talent on the roster, if Brandon Bean sees if Malik Neighbors falls or if Roman Dunze from Washington is there and he's like, he is our guy and we can jump and make sure that the Bengals don't pick him, I think Brandon Bean would certainly consider that in the first round. Yeah, I think that's the move. Um, no question about it. You'll If a... If a guy they think is a can't miss and they wish they could get him falls within reach, they're going to reach. And he doesn't go to the Bengals or the right. Chiefs they're in that gonna case? They're going to reach for him, no yeah. matter who's in front of him. If he's a guy that they think is a difference maker and he and, and they covet him, they will, they will reach for him. They'll try and get him. And they'll have scenarios drawn out and probably already have had conversations with teams like Dallas and those teams just behind them or ahead of them in the draft, mm-hmm. just behind them in the standings, and they'll say, hey, what about it? And they'll say, this is what it's going to take. They'll have them ready. Yeah, and then Dallas will say, listen, if our guy's there, we're going to take this guy. Mm-hmm. So forget it. That's what happened to the Bills in when they took Josh Allen and uh, Chubb fell to Denver. Denver uh-huh. wanted him, so they kept him, kept the pick and yep. took him at five, and the Bills stayed at seven and still got Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. So that stuff all is all going to happen. Um, at this point, it's hard to anticipate 
who's going to fall and who's going to want to take the guy and who you're going to have to jump ahead to get him. Yep. You're right. It's very early. Um, I don't think the Bills can get outside, get inside the top 20, though. They're not going to go from 28 to 19. It'd it's be too very expensive. Yeah, it's too expensive. Um, they need too many draft picks, and they need to hit on more draft picks. And the more draft picks you have, the better chance you have there of you hitting. Yep. And that's, that's basically where they're going to be standing, right? Yeah, exactly. We're going to take a break. Chris Petropasso, Steve Tasker, we're going to hear, come back and drop and wrap things up here at the top of the hour. This is Buffalo Bills Radio, and this is One Bills Live presented by Collider Health. We'll be right back. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso, wrapping things up here. Let's go back and finish up the tweet sheet. This is from John. Uh, the question is, will the Bills get better through free agency this offseason? And John says, hope they keep some vets from the D-line and Poyer, but focus on getting Allen wide receiver weapons. Move up the draft to pick up a starter at wide receiver one slash two. Outscoring offenses wins more games than our defense does holding on to a lead. Uh, from Jack, he says, Chris, this is for you, Chris. Yep. I want th- your thoughts on A.D. Mitchell. It's Adonai Mitchell. A.D. Mitchell from Texas, uh, late first-round, early second-round selection, and Ricky Pearsall late for a second- or third-round pick, possibly. Yeah, so A.D. Mitchell is kind of a light version of Brian Thomas Jr., similarly sized, and why I'm saying light is – He's not quite as polished of a route uh, of a route runner at this point. I think the upside with A.D. Mitchell is as high as any receiver in the class because he is a fluid athlete, but really only one year of production, started at Georgia, transferred to Texas. He's someone that if the Bills were a little bit earlier in their rebuilding process, if this was 2019 or 2020, I would love A.D. Mitchell for them, but I do think they want someone who's a little bit more polished and has more of a resume. Ricky Pearsall, great route runner, um, not much of a vertical threat, but he, like Lad McConkey, second or third round is going to get open and catch everything thrown in his direction. So if the Bills are like, hey, we want someone that's going to be good instantly, Ricky Pearsall from Florida is another name. Yeah, you think about some of the draft picks we saw last year, and this is what every general manager, every fan thinks they can do yeah and so think about last year you think cj stroud was a surprise as a quarterback for the houston texans you got to think he was at least a pleasant surprise oh, absolutely. if not uh, if not a shocker to some people and finally what about puka nakua fifth rounder fifth rounder and all of a sudden he's like rookie offensive rookie of the year Unbelievable. 1400 yards receiving over yeah, that that's what we're looking at we're going to be talking more about this tomorrow more about uh, a lot of stuff that's going on at the super bowl media day coming up all of that stuff coming down We're going to be here to talk about it tomorrow from 1 to 3. Chris Trapasso, Steve Tasker, we'll talk to you tomorrow at 1. We'll see you, everybody.